An extra 65,000 people found employment in August in a shock sign of strength in the labour market. The European Union launches an inquiry into Chinese electric cars, and Myers sales have fallen back over the first few weeks of the new financial year. Welcome to Fear and Greed Business News, Australia's best business podcast. It is Friday, the 15th of September, 2023. I'm Michael Thompson, and with Sean Almasillaway, I'm joined by Jennifer Duke. Jen, good morning. Good morning, Michael. Now, you've got a great interview coming up after the show with Stephen Halmarek, who is, of course, the Chief Economist at the Commonwealth Bank. Yeah, we were discussing the jobs market, the data the bank has on how we're all spending at the moment, and what all of this means for the economy and businesses. And I love that you put to him the fairly wild claims by a property developer earlier in the week that we need to see unemployment rise so that people learn the value of having a job, basically. And and he had quite a, a strong response to that. So it's worth listening just to hear what Stephen had to say in response to that. It's coming up a little bit later on. Fantastic interview. First, though, Jen, the main story is really about the labour force data because it shocked economists yesterday with an extra 65,000 people finding themselves in work in August, with the unemployment rate remaining steady at 3.7%. Economists were actually expecting a rise in the number of people employed, but only of around 20,000 or so. So this is a big surprise to the upside for analysts right now. And it'll have plenty of people wondering, when is the heat going to come out of the labour market? And there are a record number of people in work at the moment, and the participation rate is at record highs. So over the past year, there's been a significant increase in hours worked, which the Australian Bureau of Statistics says is indicative of the demand for labour being met by people working more hours. Bear in mind, this was after a small drop in employment in July, and this was taken as a possible sign that interest rates were starting to have an effect. But these figures can be pretty volatile, and that month included the school holiday period. And of course, Jen, it goes without saying that because your day job is as economics correspondent for Capital Brief, you would be keeping a very close eye on the reaction to this. What have economists been saying and what's the response been like in Canberra? So Treasurer Jim Chalmers called it a tremendous result and a testament to the resilience of the economy, but he reiterated his three concerns about impacts on the economy for the year ahead. So that's high interest rates, high but moderating inflation, and continuing global uncertainty. He thinks they're all going to weigh on the economy and the labour market for the 12 months ahead. ANZ says that the deeper data, though, is much more mixed than the headline figure suggests. So the vast majority of the jobs growth was part-time, and hours worked actually fell slightly over the month. Underemployment also increased slightly. This has the bank thinking that there is some slack creeping in and therefore there's no need for an interest rate change for quite some time. All right. How did local markets perform yesterday? The S&P ASX 200 closed up 0.5% to 7187 points. Almost all sectors went up yesterday with strong iron ore prices pushing metals and mining to the top of the leaderboard, followed by materials. Healthcare declined and there was a small drop for consumer staples. Not much change for consumer discretionaries either. The top performer was brain chip holdings up 5.5% and the biggest fall was link administration holdings down 4.9%. right, what's happening in international markets? The European governments are increasingly looking to their own people to fund their borrowing. A Financial Times report shows a sharp rise in retail bond sales in a push to get banks to increase interest rates on savings. Italy, Belgium and Portugal have issued €60 billion in bonds direct to households in 2023 so far, which is more than double last year. And Jen, a lot's been happening in the US as well. We've recently had inflation data out. 
Yeah, the US inflation data was higher than expected in August. The core consumer price index increased 0.3% over the month, which is actually the first time it's ramped up in six months. It's 4.3% up over the year, though, which is the lowest annual rate in two years. But it's disappointing investors because it could mean another rate hike from the Federal Reserve in future months. Economists are split on if and when this would happen, though. And a prominent Bank of America survey of 258 top money managers with hundreds of billions of dollars under management has a pretty worrying finding. A third of the surveyed fund managers are warning that Chinese commercial real estate is the most likely source of a global systemic credit risk right now. Okay, there's a bit going on. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Jen, outgoing Maya boss, John King, says shoppers are still out buying in department stores. He says they're all about spring and summer fashion right now. You can tell I'm clearly uncomfortable with this terrain, <laughs> as well as travel wear and kids' goods. But but sales have slipped 1.9% in the first six weeks of this financial year. So yeah, in the year to July 29, sales reached $3.36 billion for Maya, and that's the best year that they've had since 2005. But the slowing this year means that Maya is pretty cautious about what we're going to see for the rest of the year. And King is looking to get younger shoppers to join onto loyalty scheme Maya 1. King is actually due to finish up with Maya pretty soon, and there is some headhunting underway for his replacement. Now, we've been talking a fair bit lately, Jen, about thefts on fear and greed. Did King have anything else... Uh, to say about this in the results. It, it, it seems as though all the big retailers have been commenting on it. That's right. He said that they've seen a big spike in theft at their stores. It's risen to 1.8% of sales compared to 1.3% the year before. So that's about an extra $16 million in lost stock. And part of that is organized crime. It's pretty intense. And we're definitely seeing a trend here from consumer-facing shops. More broadly, it was interesting what people are actually buying up though. So it was linen clothes, cologne for Father's Day, and suitcases were all at the top of the list. Oh, okay. That actually makes sense. I mean, suitcases, everyone's gearing up. I mean, okay. No, no, it's just, it is purely my self-interest. When you said that, just then I'm like, I need to buy a new suitcase for a trip I'm going on in like about six weeks. And so I'm purely just- And some linen clothes. (laughs) Potentially. I might get a a safari suit to wear in Fiji. (laughs) That would be a look, wouldn't it? Let's move on rapidly. Uh, Serious one, this one, Jen. It was Are You Okay Day yesterday. And it- actually prompted the Offshore Alliance uh, to hit out at treatment of workers at Chevron facilities. So the Union Collective is made up of the Australian Workers' Union and the Maritime Union of Australia, and they're concerned about bullying and harassment of their workers. So the unions criticised corporate thugs who are standing over their operations workforce on the West Coast facilities and is complaining about a toxic culture. They're currently undertaking protected industrial action at the US Giants LNG sites, and yesterday they started amping up their strike hours. They've threatened to take Chevron into court over claims that some managers have told workers they're going to dock their pay even if they don't take protected action. Chevron and its workers will have their dispute over wages and conditions heard by the Industrial Relations Tribunal next week. The majority of active fund managers failed to beat the market for the first half of 2023. S&P Global has put out its mid-year scorecard and shows the market index did better than active management. So about 55% of general equity funds actually did worse than the 4.5% rise in the ASX 200. But smaller mid-cap managers and bond funds actually outperformed. 
only just. And if you zoom out even further to 5, 10, or even 15 years, it's the vast majority of fund managers who failed to beat the market. However, when it came to international stock active managers, they outperformed the ASX 200, and that's largely driven by the S&P developed market index outpacing the local market. Now, this is an interesting one. We are going to be waiting longer for the detail on Aussie content quotas for streaming giants like Netflix and Disney+. Plus. The legislation has been delayed amid strikes in Hollywood and additional industry consultation from the government. So Arts Minister Tony Burke says he is still committed to the content quotas, which are due to be introduced in July next year. But the legislation, which was expected in spring, is now being pushed back. And this would force major on-demand streaming services, including Amazon Prime, Nine Entertainment Stan and Paramount Plus to include Australian content. It's not yet defined exactly how much content or whether it's a percentage of revenue to be spent or of content to be created that will be required to be in Australia. But Screen Producers Australia wants 20% of local streaming revenues to be spent on local content. Jen, there's almost 2,450 homes scheduled for auction this weekend on CoreLogic figures. That is the busiest since April. Another rise on last weekend. We are clearly into the spring selling season. We sure are. We're actually at double-digit growth on last year's 2,203 auctions. And this weekend is due to be the big litmus test for how the rest of the season is going to hold up. Sydney buyers will see 1,010 homes under the hammer, while in Melbourne it's 1,008. And there are 203 scheduled in Brisbane, 125 in Adelaide, 104 in Canberra, 9 in Perth, and sorry but none in Tasmania. Every weekend is giving us a bit of a clearer picture of what activity this busy season is going to be like. And so far it's ramping up in terms of volume, but clearance rates are suggesting an even balance between buyers and sellers. None in Tasmania. Isn't that interesting? Sorry, sorry, Tassie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether anyone's going to be taking offence at the fact that you have told them <laughs> that there are none. Now, uh, we talked about this one a bit uh, earlier in the week and now another big development. The $10 billion Housing Australia Future Fund has passed Parliament following a deal with the Greens. That's right. We did discuss this earlier in the week. So the Greens managed to get an extra billion dollars for public and community housing. But yesterday, the legislation finally passed Parliament and it will establish a fund that will ensure a pipeline of new housing supply, specifically social and affordable rental housing. In the fund's first five years, it's expected to help contribute to 30,000 new homes. And it's also going to help with repairs and maintenance of homes in remote Indigenous communities, crisis housing for women and children escaping domestic violence and homes for veterans. Uh, Jen, National Australia Bank is shutting up shop in Hong Kong in what may be uh, the start of a trend. Yeah, NAB is winding down its Hong Kong office. That's going to take place over the next 18 months. And it has about 50 staff there. So it's not clear yet whether those roles are all going to be made redundant or they'll be redeployed. NAB is focusing on its Shanghai, Singapore and Tokyo offices as its new centres to support institutional clients across Asia. Westpac closed its Hong Kong office in June, though, and CBA and ANZ still have Hong Kong offices. Stringent pandemic lockdowns had several major financial organisations reconsidering operations in Hong Kong. So I think this is one to watch. Yeah, so, uh, potential sleeper story, would you say? <laughs> you keep trying to get clues already. Oh, yeah, I, I'm always <laughs> on the lookout for a sleeper story for our weekend edition, which is coming up tomorrow, and I would highly recommend it because it's become very competitive between us. It has. Where we pick out the biggest story and the the sleeper story for the week and a remarkable story and our favourite story and our colleague Adam Lang judges it. And, and you have now done, I think, four weekend editions with us and you have beaten me every single time that's not true <laughs> i did win last week i've just been reminded of this yeah. uh, which is i mean by one point wasn't it once again we move on quickly <laughs> uh 
Jen, more Australian liquefied natural gas is going to be bought up by Taiwan in an effort to protect the island nation's energy supply against any possible attack from China. Taiwan is phasing out its three nuclear power plants by 2025, and this transition, alongside rising geopolitical tension, means importing LNG is taking on great significance for them. And Australia is, of course, one of the world's biggest exporters of LNG and is now Taiwan's major supplier at 37% of its supply, with about $11.6 billion worth. So Australia is also a major investor in wind farms in the region. Another reason LNG is considered a good option for Taiwan is that it can be stored in undisclosed locations, and they're interested in hydrogen as a source of energy as well. Uh, In international news now, the European Union has officially launched a new investigation into Chinese EVs, and in particular subsidies that it claims are distorting the European market. So this could be one of the biggest trade cases on record. And the European Commission is saying global markets are flooded with cheaper EVs and they don't accept this situation as competitors are being undercut by huge state subsidies. The issue was raised privately with China's premier by the EU at the G20 summit last weekend. That's according to the Financial Times. But this could mean that tariffs are put in place if breaches are found in a bid to protect local industry. There have been concerns from member countries like France about the future of domestic car manufacturers there. But China's hit back about it via its state-owned Global Times, saying that trade protectionism is poison for Europe's economy. Now, an update on a story that we talked about yesterday, Jen. North Korea has offered Russia its, quote, full and unconditional support in the war in Ukraine. This could be the start of an arms deal between the two countries. Kim Jong-un met with Vladimir Putin and has described the invasion of Ukraine as sacred. He said Russia had risen to protect its own sovereignty and security against hegemonic forces. And he said that North Korea would help the fight against imperialism. The two leaders met for an hour and discussed weapon supplies, as well as Russian assistance to help North Korea build satellites and potentially other economic assistance. On the same day as the meeting took place, Japan's defence ministry said that North Korea had fired two short-range ballistic missiles towards the Sea of Japan. Putin's actually also now accepted an invitation to go to North Korea. Hmm. All right. Now, the White House has commented for the first time on China's expanding ban on Apple's iPhones, with the National Security Council criticising the moves. So the spokesman for the council, John Kirby, said it appeared to be similar to the aggressive and inappropriate retaliation towards US businesses that he says they've experienced from the People's Republic of China. But this is not really clear cut. So Beijing's foreign ministry held a press conference a few hours after the new iPhones were launched. And spokeswoman Mao Ning said that China has not issued any laws and regulations to ban the purchase of any phones. But she did point out that the government attaches importance to security. And there had been media reports concerning incidences around Apple's iPhones. It feels like that muddies the waters just a little bit. Yeah, it really does. And it doesn't soothe investors' fears because ruling out laws and regulations doesn't actually rule out government recommendations, instructions, requests, workplace requirements, and things like that. Now, Bloomberg actually made a really great point about the press conference because it noted that the security briefings usually supply an English translation, but this one was different to the one provided by the ministry. So apparently the English version left out the media reports comment. And that's unusual because these sorts of press conferences are usually highly scripted and controlled. And one particularly interesting detail on the Apple front is that they're going to be selling India-made iPhone 15s in some regions for the first time on launch day, in addition to mostly Chinese-made iPhones. All right, last one. Jen, Sam Bankman-Fried's bankrupt crypto exchange FTX is now able to liquidate its cryptocurrency assets in a step towards repaying customers in US currency. 
So this is to help avoid volatility, which is obviously a major feature of crypto markets and a significant risk if you've got some debts to repay. So FTX is able to sell up to 100 million US dollars worth of crypto a week now. It will also be able to enter into hedging and staking agreements. Now, there's been some concerns from customers that these sales could crash crypto prices, but FTX said it was aware of the risks and it's brought in Galaxy, so that's a US crypto firm, to advise on these risks. FTX says it holds about 3.4 billion US dollars worth of crypto assets, including Bitcoin. Okay. Up next is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. You are speaking today with Commonwealth Bank Australia Chief Economist Stephen Halmarek. Stephen was telling us all about his forecast for spending and interest rates, and he also breaks down the latest unemployment figures and exactly what that means for the economy going forward. And don't forget his response to those uh, pretty outrageous uh, suggestions about we need to lose 200, what was it, 200 to 300,000 jobs or something in order to make people feel luckier that they are employed. (laughs) And Stephen is quite frank about that. So it's worth having a listen. It's up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you very much, Jen. Thanks, Michael. It is Friday, the 15th of September, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast and join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, X, and Facebook. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed Business News. Have a great day.